0: Greetings from Covenant Community of LAJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at com. And now, let's open up God's Word. He said for three weeks that surprised me as much as it did you guys when y'all were back there. I was like, really? Okay. Then I'm I'm pretty excited. I've been I've been digging through and studying and, and thinking about God, what it is do you have for for our church moving forward? And Stephen Steve and I discussed and began to pray through, you know, what's what's next after the book of Colossians. Just kind of kept coming back to the book of Galatians. And I am so excited. I know I was excited about Colossians. That I'm no less excited about this one. This is good stuff, you guys. Something about Paul's letters that just brings something in me. I I don't know. I I couldn't be more excited about where we're headed with this. This new sermon series working through the book of Galatians. We're going to see Paul's letter. It's another one of Paul's letters, an epistle to the Galatians. And we're sort of going to put this, freedom in Christ. Understanding that this letter speaks of incredible freedom. I'm pumped about it because it's fun to preach this stuff because this letter is alive. I mean, it is vibrant. It's raw. It's passionate. It's got a very unique tone to it. Uh, you honestly can't read this letter without feeling the frustration and, and love inside of Paul's heart. Uh, I, I read this. John Piper wrote this about Galatians. He said, The sheer emotional force Of This book has captured me again and again over the years You can't read the first ten verses without feeling like something utterly important is at stake You can't read Galatians and think well, this is an interesting piece of religious reflection (laughs) Any more than you can examine a live coal with your bare hands Galatians is a powerful statement of central truths of Christianity if we as a people can make these truths and this vigor a part of our thinking and willing, the bones of our faith will be strong and not brittle. Doesn't that sound good? And the emotional force of our life in Christ will not be lukewarm, but ardent and intense and undivided. What a great quote, right? Uh, man, I, I love his passion about the book of Galatians, but he's not the only one. Martin Luther, uh, who is the great leader and sort of catalyst instigator of the Protestant Reformation way back when, was heavily impacted by... By the book of Galatians. He is, talks about it in a really unique way. He said, speaking of Galatians, he said, It is my epistle. I am wedded to it. His wife was named Katie Von Bora. He said, It is my Katie Von Bora. Of course, he said it in German. But, <laughs> but it's been said, as I was reading about this, this is the passion behind this book. It is the, on the masthead of the Reformation. It's been called the Magna Carta by some of the early church. The manifesto of Christian liberty, an impregnable citadel, a veritable Gibraltar against any attack on the heart of the gospel. So I'm not the only one that's excited about the book of Galatians. It really is like that. It is in defense of the gospel. Here's why I love it. The the Galatians, it, it, it simply but almost violently proclaims the gospel, the very clear gospel of grace, that we are saved In Christ by grace Through faith And not of works That any man should boast That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 But it screams out in Galatians The clarity of the gospel Had come under pretty significant attack When Paul wrote this letter Specifically people were opposing the idea That salvation could be attained By faith alone That easily Just by grace through faith They were pushing back They've been in, in Judaism for all this time, and those people were rising up saying, not so fast, you know, it's not that easy. Now that you're a Christ follower, you need to obey the Mosaic law, be circumcised, and keep the ceremonial, ceremonial Mosaic laws, all right? At least a little bit. Essentially, what they were saying that's relevant to us is that they were suggesting that salvation in Christ is somehow through some complex formula of grace. And keeping the law. Are you with me? They were suggesting that there's more to salvation than simply coming to Christ by grace through faith. And that is so important for us today. Which is why I'm excited about this. Because the gospel still is the battleground that the enemy is fighting in. And people are still muddying up and and sort of messing up and, and causing the clarity of the gospel to be lost. And we have to make sure that we don't muddy up the gospel. And when we live, as we walk in Christ, it is important that we have clarity that we're able to walk the way that God intends us to. Now, this is confusing, and Paul wrote this letter, I think because of this truth, that the gospel is simple, and honestly, it sounds way too good to be true, right? I mean, it really does. When we hear it, it's like, this sounds too good to be true, so everything in our flesh sort of pushes back on that. But the gospel declares that, Our justification, which is a church word, meaning our salvation, our right standing with God. The fact that we've been forgiven and now we are seen as in Christ, this is crazy, sinless and also being imputed with the righteousness of Christ. So He dealt with our past and then credit to us righteousness of Jesus. That sounds way too good to be true, right? But here's the thing, the gospel declares that our justification, that is obtained in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. And, and this, I spoke of Martin Luther a minute ago, This was the he was the one who sort of instigated the Reformation, and as the Reformation kind of kicked in, there were five sort of linchpins that held the whole thing together, and, and you, I have great news for you, Galatians is not going to read like this, but just to set this up so you understand, there were five things that sort of held it all together, they call them the solas, it was a Latin term. Uh, terms that sola simply means alone or, or by itself. It's, it's, that's it, it's solo, if <laughs> that helps. And so the first one was sola scriptura, which means that, that we worship and walk with Christ uh, through the way that scripture has revealed to us. And, and back then, the Catholic Church uh, had been sort of functioning with tradition and scripture on equal footing, okay? They felt like uh, any traditions that have been practiced That would have been passed down by the apostles, we could learn as much from those traditions as we could from Scripture, and they needed to be seen as equals. Does that make sense? But the problem was that those traditions were beginning to be abused, and new ones were being made, and and the Pope himself seemed to be, everything was a moving target. And that was being abused, and so the Reformation was important because there was so much corruption. And essentially, the, the guiding principle of that Reformation was this, that Scripture alone determines what is true and how we relate to the Gospel not tradition or anything else. Does that make sense? Only what Scripture has to say. Well, if that is true, and you go to Scripture for salvation and not man and not tradition, this is what Scripture says, and it leads us to the other four solas, that it is sola Christus, in other words, Christ alone, that there's no other source of salvation except through Jesus. So you are not the source of your salvation. That's important for you to get, right? I'm definitely not the source of your salvation. There is no pathway that can get you there except Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. So like Christ says, it is Christ alone is our way of salvation. And if that is true, if there's no other way but through Christ, then this must be true, that it's by grace alone. Because you are not your way to salvation, so you can't contribute anything but guilt to the process. Does that make sense? You are guilty before God, deserving of His wrath, as we read in Ephesians chapter 2, and so we need the grace of God to be saved. It is by grace alone. I know we've got five things saying they're alone, so it seems like none of them are actually alone. <laughs> so we can clarify. Like, wait a second, this makes no sense. But sola gratia, meaning we're saved by grace alone and not our own merit. It is unmerited favor. You can't earn it. Grace is something that is given. It is a gift. And the next one is sola fide, by faith alone. And this is separating the alone part is separating it from by works of the Jewish law. We are saved by God's grace, through Christ, and, and it's through faith that we are saved, not through works, not through adherence to the law or some creed. Our only hope is faith that Christ has done it, and by his grace he will save us. And we believe that what scripture says, sola scriptura, and we believe that Christ is our hope for salvation and that we are only saved by grace. We put our faith in that, and God is glorified, soli deo gloria. He is glorified and lifted up. And that is distinct. It's for his glory alone, not yours. That's what Ephesians 2 says. We're saved by grace, not of words, so that no man can boast, but God will. Because he has saved us and rescued us. And that's why we're here to worship this morning. We give God glory for how he has saved us. So this is the simple gospel, right? Now, I I should warn you, and this this is actually a great comfort to you. Galatians does not read like a systematic theology book anything but that it is totally different than that it's a passionate letter written by a man who wanted to clarify the true gospel in the church of galatia okay and paul is i think never more intense in his writings than he is right here there are a couple of intense moments but this is crazy galatians he just lays it on so those of you guys who really like straight talk you don't want to go around the, the the way you just want to shoot you straight you're gonna love galatians See, it definitely jumps right in Now his purpose in this is this, that he wants to correct, when he's writing this letter, his goal is to counter and correct this false teaching that we are are still living under the Mosaic law and that adherence to it was a requirement for Christians, okay? Paul wanted believers to understand that they are saved by grace through faith and only in Christ Jesus for God's glory. And he also wanted to understand that that is not only our hope for salvation, but that is our hope for sanctification. It is the very same five things at work that make us holy like Christ. And we muddy that up. We have all kinds of problems. And Paul's Paul's bringing clarity to that. And so Galatians, we find this freedom, of, this, this, I don't know, the keys to walking in real Christian freedom. Real Christian freedom, which is complicated. Because some would seek to abuse. Some would seek to redefine. But we're going to look at that word freedom and make sense of that so, essentially this, that in Christ we find freedom to obey, not freedom from God's authority. Does that make sense? We find freedom to obey God. Rather than be slaves to sin, we are freedom to obey. And so, someone abuse this simple gospel and say that, you know, that'd be antinomianism, being totally against the law, saying that the law is of no... Uh, in fact it will hurt us and in fact it does in certain ways but it has its benefit because it reels, reveals our need for jesus our savior right but no man will be justified through the law so it's freedom to obey uh, and it's also freedom from sin in our life but it's also an empowerment from god that we receive so let's get some context before we get into it and i want to warn you because y'all are already probably already flipped to galatians chapter one we will get there but before we do, we're going to get to Acts chapter 13, because that's, a, Paul never went to Galatians, so we can't go to the book of Acts and dig into that. Uh, but he did go to Galatians, so uh, it's a region, and there were four churches in there. I'll tell you about it in a second, but anyway, it's AD 49, okay? It's been about 15 years since Jesus rose from the dead, and Paul had been on his first missionary journey. He'd been out planting churches, sharing the gospel, all in Galatia, and this was about a year before he wrote this letter Give or take And the Galatian churches The four of them were Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe Okay And you can read about those in Acts 13 and 14 We're going to be in 13 in just a second And you can continue to read what happened there And you'll see this play out But he had proclaimed the gospel to them And the spirit of God honestly moved in power In an unbelievable way Which you'll see And and Paul was simply proclaiming the clear grace of God And it brought with it an unbelievable amount of controversy and was opposed at every single turn as he was pushing through sharing the gospel and starting in Antioch, right? So Paul, you know, you got to ask, what was he saying that was so controversial? Well, this is it, and you're going to get to hear it. I'm going to summarize, and then we're going to read the rest of his sermon, start in in verse uh, 26. But summarizing before that, he starts off this epic sermon in the, the town of Antioch, and he's telling them the story of how God had promised a deliverer to the Jews and the promise was made to Abraham the forefathers of Jerusalem and it was reiterated to the the prophets and patriarchs and kings for honestly thousands of years and Paul explained that the wait that had lasted that long had finally come to an end and that Jesus of Nazareth the Son of God the Messiah had come and he'd come exactly as prophesied from the Line of David He showed up and the very people that were supposed to recognize him Didn't Right? And instead they crucified him But he explains to him that after that Jesus rose from the dead And then he appeared to hundreds of people In his resurrected body So that's the summary leading up to this Let's look in verse 26 Acts 13, 26 He says, this is Paul preaching Okay, so this is a better sermon You're going to get to hear the rest of the way This is Paul Actually, in the middle of a sermon he's preaching, he says, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And let me summarize that for you guys. He said, the Jews... Who had been promised and had been trained in recognizing Jesus. They knew the law. They knew the prophecies. Instead of actually recognizing Jesus, they opposed him. And they ended up fulfilling the law by crucifying him. Fulfilling the prophecies by crucifying him. It says in verse 28. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb awesome part, right? But God raised him from the dead. And for many, many days, he appeared. This is the good news. Paul's preaching the gospel to lost people. He's telling them. but Jesus rose from the dead. They, they thought they killed this guy that they didn't recognize was the Messiah, but they couldn't stop him. God raised him from the dead. Praise God. He said they took him down from the tree, laid him in a tomb, and God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And who are now witnesses, they're eyewitnesses to this, to the people. And we bring you, this is Paul saying it, we are bringing you the good news. That what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Now that's some cool things there, but I'm going to skip ahead to verse 38 for the sake of time. This, this is beautiful, listen to this. He said, let, let it be known to you, therefore brothers, that though this man, through this man, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you, tells it to you. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. They're like, please come back next week. In verse 43, it says, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Now, get this? Man, what a passage, right? What a sermon. And as we study Galatians, you're going to see, as we Read this letter. You see, this is a letter written to these people who would have heard this sermon in this region. Was it wasn't just to the church of Antioch. In fact, we're a little fuzzy on which church. he may have been thinking about exactly. But Antioch was right here in it, and you see this happening right in this. The Two words are going to stand out week after week. And one is freedom, and the other is grace. Freedom and grace. See, freedom, see, the gospel makes us free. Don't you love this? In verse 38, it says Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you, and everyone who believes is freed. Isn't that crazy good? Everyone who believes is freed. Not everyone who can jump this high is freed. No, it's everyone who believes is freed, and this freedom frees you from all the stuff that the law can't free you from. Like, it is so much better than what's been offered to you before. The gospel screams out, you are free." If Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. I mean, it comes out all through Scripture. There is freedom in the gospel, freedom in Christ. And that—that that is just amazing to me. This, this word, freedom, that's translated here, comes from a Greek word that's often translated justified. Okay? They're almost interchangeable. Some, you may even see that they do translate. We are, you know, we see that we are justified in this. So we're talking about freedom. And our justification, our right standing with God are almost synonymous and interchangeable here. Isn't that beautiful? That we are justified, we are free in Christ. And that is great news, right? If all you'd ever heard was appease the gods, you know, do the law, figure all this out. You've got to be circumcised, keep our laws and do all this. That is not great news for so many reasons, right? But here's here's the thing. Like, Paul comes in and he's yelling at them. You can be free from everything the law was unable to free you from. All the the law did is reveal your need to be saved, your need to be forgiven. But in Christ, we are free. The second word that comes up is grace. And grace has one meaning, but it has two really important applications as we look into this. The first thing you need to recognize is that it, it does, we're speaking of it as unmerited favor. Now, that's a great term you've heard before. And by that, we mean it's a gift that you could be in right standing with God, receive blessings from God, the favor of God, even though that's not what you deserve, right? And the only way you could be merited that is through Jesus, which is amazing. Completely undeserved favor, undeserved forgiveness, undeserved blessing, undeserved salvation. But the second thing that we often don't think about is that grace in scripture refers to unmerited power. It also speaks to the empowerment that God gives us. Grace is not just so we can celebrate that we are forgiven. It's also God giving us the power to walk in righteousness and obey him. In fact, even more clearly, grace is the Holy Spirit at work in us to lead us to be righteous from the inside out. It doesn't just motivate us to walk in righteousness, it empowers us. It's not just the sense of gratitude uh, that we're thankful for all that God's doing us and so done for us, so we just lean on that motivation of gratitude. It's even more than that. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, that empowers us to walk in this freedom. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about freedom, and we're talking about power, freedom and grace, the unmerited favor, the unmerited power of God. And so this leads us to Uh, The first thing I really want to get at with this are three things today I want you guys to understand And, And this is this that God's grace is not just for beginners, right? God's grace is not just for the novices, the rookies, the nudes. It's it's not It's not something you get just on the front end to receive God's grace and then move on to more maturity God's grace is not something you move past and this is the deal This is what the the Apostle Paul was yelling, and he said, we are begging you to continue in what? Grace. Grace. So this is not Christianity 401. This is all of it. Grace is everything. It's what we lean on for our salvation and our sanctification. So as they urged them to continue in the grace of God, they went back to Habakkuk 1.5, and they're saying, this is the hard thing, because we are to continue in God's grace. Why is that so hard? I think when when you look at it, part of it is it's too good to be true. And Paul is kind of quoting in his sermon Habakkuk 1 5, it says, Look you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work, I'm doing something so great in your days that you won't even believe it if somebody tells you. <laughs> right? And isn't that true about the gospel? Because we come to, and I don't know how many times I've had the privilege of sharing the gospel with somebody, and especially with young people. And we'll tell them the whole thing about how to be saved in Christ, by grace, through faith, for for God's glory alone. And then if you come to Christ to do as Scripture says, repent and believe, you can be saved. And they often look at me like, okay, then what? (laughs) And I'm like, no, that's it. And I've had them, seriously, they'll say, surely there's something I have to do, right? And I'm like, no. (laughs) like, that's it. Just believe. The work is the belief. Like, to work to believe. Be faithful to believe. And and the cool thing is, is that that's not going to leave us the same. When that happens to you and Christ comes in you, you're not going to walk away unchanged. We're always worried about that. Well, what if I just stay as I am, not unchanged? And did it really work? You won't! If if you have Christ in you, you're going to look the same as when you had Christ not in you. Are you with me? Like, it changes us. It affects us. It doesn't mean it's not without involvement on our part, but I want you to think about this. It's just hard for them to continue in God's grace because it's, like, hard to believe. Even if somebody tells you it's every bone in our body doesn't really accept it, right? It may be that you're struggling with that even as I'm talking. You're like, okay, well, when he, when's the other shoe going to drop? When is he going to tell me to do the bait and switch? And so now go out and, you know, read the whole Bible, memorize it, oh, you know, go to Africa. like can you, can you? Steve already is in Africa, so he's good. <laughs> uh, but... <laughs> Well, our God's grace—I think it's almost—it's virtually unbelievable to our human little pea brains, right? We we see that and it's like uh, I'm struggling with that. It's work to continue in grace because our bodies are like I need to do something, something for nothing. What is the catch in this? And there's another reason I think we don't believe in grace uh, or continue in grace as well. So I'm shift gears for a second. It's this, and we have this tendency. And sort of think that God's grace is for newcomers, for novices, for, for beginners, which is a weird way of thinking about the Christian faith anyway. And I'm using that example because that's, that's a danger in and of itself. And so, but once we hit our sophomore year, so to speak, you know, follow me? As sophomore spiritually, start behaving like sophomores. But we kind of start thinking that it's time for us to stand on our own two legs, right? Started off by God's grace. It was awesome. Can't believe He did that for me. Now it's time for me to prove my worth, Right? So we start in grace and then move on to religion, for lack of a better term. And religion can be a lot of different things. It's it's man's pursuit of pleasing God so that God will accept them. And there's a whole bunch of different religions that are all about man getting to God. And that's the crazy thing. And that's the uniqueness of the Christian faith. It's the uniqueness about the gospel. It's that God came to people who distinctly did not deserve it at all. And came to them to rescue them. And so everything in our brain says that can't be true because the human gospel, you go out, ask other religions what the gospel is, and they will give you a to-do list and say, good luck to you. Maybe we'll see you on the other side, right? But in Christianity, Jesus has held up the law and he said, I have fulfilled it. It's a done list, and I'm going to credit it to you as righteousness. Is that unbelievable? Yes. It is literally Unbelievable. And so our brains don't accept it. So we think, okay, I want to be able to prove myself to God and get this. So we struggle to continue in grace. So how does that look? Well, I think it starts in weird little simple ways we don't normally see. And it's like this. I think sometimes we receive a really cool blessing from God. So it's like, wow, God really answered this prayer. He showed up. He did what I've been asking him to do. Like, what a blessing from God. And then our brains immediately do what human brains do. We start saying, well, what did I do to deserve this blessing? You know, let me look back over the last few weeks and see what I did to deserve that. And so I'm like, well, I've been giving. I've been praying. I went to church like three times last week. You know, it was was a lot, right? And I don't know, maybe that's why God decided he was going to come through and and bless me. Listen, the shift is subtle. So we stand up before our small group and say, well, you know, hey, guys, I got great news. God has blessed me. Let me tell you why it happened. I was giving. I was serving. I was praying. I was attending church. Uh, you know, I found this formula. Like I, I merited God's blessing and somehow activated and empowered God. I've got him on a leash, man. I can give him a command, and he has to do what I say. So here's the cool thing. Like, now I finished this e-book online, and you can download it right now, and I will show you how to get all the blessings in your life. You just need to pray like this, master this, chant this enough times uh, every morning, and do these kind of things, and your sickness will go away. Your bank account will grow, and everything's going to work out in your life. I figured out how we can do this and, and it's subtle. We take our eyes off of God and we start to put them on the steps to the blessing, right? It's subtle and we don't even realize we're doing it. I don't even realize I'm doing it sometimes. And I'm like, oh man, it's so hard to continue in grace because we want to look back and be like, well, I kept score for the last two weeks. Well, God sees our whole life, right? When God took stock of your life, you know what He did? He sent his son to die in your place so that you might have grace. When he looked at your resume at the end of your life, he wasn't like, wow, I can bless that. He said, I need to die for that. Right? So, I, I, hey, this is, this is, there are a lot of ditches I can go off into right here. All right? So I'm, I called Steve and I was like, I don't know if I can do this in 30, 40 minutes. I'm like, this is like a two-hour thing. He said, well, I'm going to be preaching two hours in Africa, so if you want to do that too, you can go ahead. So I've been cleared by the boss. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do that, but what I am going to say is that, man, hey, be here, be here, because there are a lot of errors that you can make on either side of this. If you correct that with either extreme, say God will not bless us, that there are no benefits to walking in God's ways, that would be a tremendous error, right? Because there are. You reap what you sow. You sow righteousness, you're going to receive righteousness. There's a whole heck of a lot better outcomes when you do things God's way. Even lost people experience blessings when they walk in God's ways, right? But if you walk in sinful ways, you're going to reap a harvest of sowing into the flesh, right? So things are gonna, not going to go well. So this is not a, well, it doesn't matter what you do, so just do whatever. Like, that's not what we're saying. In fact, that goes against the heartbeat of Galatians. But the idea... I just got a new puppy, all right? And it has been tough, man, <laughs> let me tell you. That little varmint, I love her, but whew, she, is, she is strong-willed, really. Anyway, anyway, but even though she's strong-willed, I can, I can look at her and I can get her to obey my commands. I've been training her, right? I can get her to sit most of the time. Uh, I, or, or I can say down and she will lay down, right? And God is not like that. We are not the master. And so if we focus on, well, I've got a paperback on how we can make God do all these things. See, we're always looking for a way to figure out how to manipulate God without actually having to go through the trouble of having a relationship with him. It's so much easier to know the commands rather than to know the king himself. To sit down and have a relationship with him. So we, so we want to bypass that, read a paperback on the magic prayer, and then roll with it, right? There is power in those prayers, and it, it, there is that is useful. I don't want to seem to abandon all of that. But what I'm trying to say is, don't, don't exchange that for real intimate relationship. Don't trade formulas for intimacy with God. Right? All right. So I hope I'm being clear about that. There are ditches on either side here, but we have to keep the gospel clear. So when you begin to believe that you. Earn your salvation, or either at least have deserved it. Maybe it's, it's post-dated earning it, but that you've somehow come to earn it, all right? And, and, or his blessings. Then I think you continue from, from grace rather than continuing in grace. And here's what happens in our hearts. We trade, it's subtle, but we trade a sense of gratitude, right, And a sense of thankfulness to God with a sense of entitlement and control, And that is a tremendous shift. So instead of thanking God, we're expecting to do things so that God will thank us. Instead of coming to worship God, we're almost expecting Him to shower us with, in a way, worshiping what we've done. And we start operating in that way. And Paul, in his writing, is saying there was a difference between the gospel and walking in the approval of man. Right? So we can try and work as hard as we can to Keep everybody happy around us and maybe at peace. But in reality, when, when we do this, we can continue in grace as long as we don't shift to sort of religion and start making promises that we can't keep. And so instead of pointing people, as we share the gospel, instead of pointing people to Jesus, we start, this is dangerous, we start pointing people to the, the, the magic tricks that we got blessings from. Does that make sense? And we bypass that relationship with Jesus So if we continue from grace, here's the problem. The gospel gets corrupted and lost. So the gospel that we are walking in and the gospel that we are sharing with the world gets corrupted. So man, as difficult as it is and as much as our brains sort of want to reject this gospel and as humbling it is to accept something for nothing as a gift from God, we have to understand that that our problem is not that we desire to earn it as much as it's, disbelief that that God's grace is not enough. We should desire to please and honor God with our life when we have experienced this kind of grace. That kind of motivation is good, but it should never shift to that of trying to keep the law. If we do, we've missed the foundational truth of the gospel. The truth is this, that salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone, and our pursuit of holiness is the very same way. And we do it out of reverence and thankfulness in our hearts to God. So we obey him from a heart of worship as a response to God's incredible, amazing, and glorious grace. But rather than a heart of pride, trying to prove that we deserve grace, we come in gratefulness. See, scripture says in Romans 14, 23, that anything is not of faith is sin. So if you're trying to obey God because you don't believe grace is enough, you're not even doing the good things you think you're doing as sin because it's a lack of faith. You you see this? So it's like you you may be doing a lot of nice things, but if the root of that is I want to earn this. You've missed out on the grace of God. So we see this incredible contrast happen right here in Acts 13. Look back with me on, on verse 44. We're going to speed up here. You see this contrast? This is the you see the humble hearts in Antioch contrasted with the religious leaders Who were from a whole different place they, they received it with The people in Antioch, the humble Received it and responded to faith and begged for more While the prideful religious Pharisees Man, they, they wanted to shut this thing down And came in and said No, that faith in Jesus is not enough And you must be circumcised You gotta eat kosher You gotta observe the Sabbath You gotta celebrate our holidays It literally started a riot over this This was no small deal and so let's look at the passage in verse 44. It says, The next Sabbath almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. He said, First, it was right that we spoke it was spoken to the Jews. But now we're spending it, or preaching it to non-Jews. It says, for the, so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Well, listen, this is cool, in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, right? And glorifying the Lord of the Lord, they're like, salvation has come. And many were appointed, as many who were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region, It started just branching out. But in verse fifty, but the Jews, huh, incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Listen, this brings us to our second point, point. this and we're going to speed up here. I hope you read this. In it's the clarity and purity of the gospel of Jesus is of first importance. The clarity and purity of the gospel is of first importance. And this is why the gospel is a battleground. And if the gospel is corrupted for any reason, then we've lost. The clarity and purity of the gospel is important. Paul never stopped defending it. He never stopped clarifying it. He never stopped proclaiming it. And so he never continued from it. He always continued in it. So we can't move from grace, this grace that saves us and changes us. So it's not just for Freshmen or the new people, it is what we walk in. So as we get to this letter, we're gonna read the first ten verses now. We're finally gonna get there, read the introduction. We made it to Galatians. Y'all excited? I'm not even gonna hang out there long today. We'll we'll pick up hardcore next week. But I wanted you to see the backstory on this because we actually have it in the book of Acts, which is really good. But you see and you're gonna feel Paul's passion about the importance of protecting the gospel. Because every time we preach the gospel, a bunch of people come in and say mm, incomplete. We need to add some stuff to that, right? And can I be honest? It's exactly what's going to happen in your life and maybe what has happened in your life. So let's let's read this, Galatians 1, verses 1 through 10. It says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace (laughs) to you. In peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished. He gets into the body over here. I'm astonished that you so quickly are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Wow. I I hope you can feel Paul's passion in his heart here. He is not messing around. It is on. This is an alive, just intense letter that's coming. What he's saying in this is that there's one gospel. Don't desert it. People are trying to distort it. He says, even if a 12-foot-tall, flaming angel appears before you and tells you a different gospel, let that angel be accursed. He said, even if I change my mind later in life and come back and try and preach to you a different gospel, let me be accursed. If anybody comes and gives you a different gospel than what I gave you, let a curse be on them. There's only one gospel. Continue in it. Don't move on from it. Do y'all hear the passage? Man, it's serious. Paul's life and letters are saturated with clarifying the gospel. In a way, Colossians was doing the same thing in a different way. But the gospel can't be replaced. It can't be repaired. It shouldn't be refurbished. It can't be dismantled, and it can't be distorted. Instead, we have to hold fast to it and hold on. That is our hope for salvation, for sanctification, and it is the hope for the world around us. And so the third thing I'll say is this, that God says the gospel redefines us, and redirects us, and this is the heartbeat of where this is gonna go. Now, I, I don't know how to explain this except I know we've been in a lot of different passages, but Paul wrote in Corinthians how the gospel changed him. Wouldn't you like to hear that? This is cool. He says this, and he clarifies it again. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. So now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. See how he's reminding them? He's like, the gospel, remember the gospel? Gospel, right? He says, which you receive in which you stand. So you received it, continue to stand in it. And by which you are being saved. And gospel, being saved. Some of y'all, that's a weird word, and I, I hope you get that. But it is a progressive thing God is working in us. If you hold, I mean, salvation, our justification is finished in Christ. But scripture still speaks of us being saved. It's a beautiful thing. We don't have time to unpack right now. But it says, hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believe in vain. Says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, this is a simple gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time who are all still alive, or most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Listen to this statement. This is huge. This is how Paul understood grace. This is the author of Galatians we're going to really dig into next week. But he says, by, by but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But continue in grace. He started in grace Grace has redefined me. It has recreated me. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. My identity is rooted in grace. Now, God's grace has made me who I am and what I am. It says, and his grace toward me has moved me from where I was to work harder than anyone, though the work was not me, but the grace of God working in me. you see this? Paul is saying... The grace of God, the simple gospel where I've received grace through Jesus, has made me what I am. It has redefined who I am. And it has moved me. It has redirected my life. It has moved me from where I was to a place of active service to the Lord. It's changed me so that I work harder than anybody. Some would say, well, grace just sounds too easy. We're afraid people won't do their work, right? So if we're going to get people to volunteer, we're going to get people to serve, we're going to get people to do missions that somehow we have to keep raising the bar and sort of hold a carrot in front of them and say, "Well, God will bless you if you come do this. Yes, he's forgiven you, but if you want more, come this way, right? (laughs) Just give them grace. When the weight of that hits you and you receive the true gospel and Christ enters into you, it changes us. We're so afraid of people abusing grace that sometimes we want to guard it. But I'd rather give it to you in its full force. Let you feel this crazy unbelievable. It's difficult for our brains to accept that you are forgiven just as you are. There's nothing you can do to deserve it, earn it. You don't need to figure something out before you come to know Christ. It's already done. So when the enemy comes and he's like, ah, sit on the back because you're not like those people. No! You came to Jesus in Christ by grace through faith and we walk in him in the same way. And when the gospel gets distorted and we start mixing it up with religion, oh, we just corrupt things and we get ourselves in this place. And instead of seeing a joyful, passionate, repentant, but fired up church ready to worship, we see people coming in heads down. I want you to trade your penance for genuine repentance and quit walking around like, I just want you to know how sorry I am. Just repent. You know why you can do that? of God's grace. He's forgiven you. He's also given you this incredible love that inspires us, but he's also given us Christ in us that empowers us. The same grace that saved you is the very same grace that's going to change you. It redefines and it redirects us. It's beautiful. And when we try and muddy that up, it doesn't happen in us. So the fourth thing, I'll just say this and I'm not gonna stay here, but God's grace produces and empowers people who are eager to do good. Paul said this to Titus. He said, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Isn't that beautiful? He creates us and causes us to be eager to do what is good through Christ. So in conclusion, I just want to say this. If you guys want to come up, we're going to close if you've moved on from grace thinking that's the advanced version of the Christian life, can I call you back home? Can you let Galatians call you back? But we are to not only begin in grace, but continue in grace. And if your relationship with God has gotten cold and stale. If you've traded intimacy with God in favor of trying to learn how to manipulate God or be impressive to God, if you've traded that out for intimacy, I'm begging you to return to the gospel. Instead of feeling ashamed and unwanted and rejected by God, I invite you to rest inexplicably in the finished work of Christ for your salvation and for your healing and restoration. This risen Christ who saved us by grace and is saving us by grace and is changing us by grace who has made us what we are and is moving us to the people that he desires us to be moment by moment. It really will feel unbelievable to you at times and you will have to discipline your mind to continue in the grace of God. But if you're willing to do that, you can move on, and we'll talk more about this next week, from following a carrot of God's blessing around to moving from being internal where Christ in you is empowering you. See, he's not holding out a carrot. He's held out his hands at the cross. And we don't come to Christ by getting the carrot or through the punishment of getting whipped like a stubborn donkey. We come to Christ because he has come in us. But through his crucifixion in Galatians, you'll see this—that it's the crucified life that is free and full of grace. He didn't invite us to come and achieve; he's invited us to come and die, to take up a cross with him. And later in Galatians, Paul says, "To live as Christ, to die is death." All right. Actually, he says, "It's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me." All right. I am crucified with. For I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith, by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That that's the thing. If you've moved on from grace, come back. If you've never received grace and you came here from religion, thinking that we would have the tips that would help you get the blessed life and have your best life now in this ain't the place. We're gonna give you Jesus. He is the only way for salvation. You're not the way of salvation. You can only receive it through grace, not by your works. It is by faith, not adherence to the law. And when God does the work he's done it in you, it won't be because you're awesome. It's because he's awesome. It's for his glory, right? There's freedom in that. There's grace in that. That's the gospel in are sharing, amen? If you would stand your feet, as we sing this song, I wanna invite you to have a cross here. We didn't make it to Galatians 2 when he says all this, but if you're like, God, I want the crucified life. I don't want to control you. I've continued on from grace. I wanna come and just revel in the finished work of Christ and receive the full weight of that with no exceptions, knowing that you will be faithful not to just recreate me, but to redirect me in the right time. If you wanna come and do that, this altar is open. You can kneel at this cross or anywhere in your life. If you don't know Jesus and wanna come to him, then we wanna know that too. I just pray that, that God will work here. Father, work in us. Work in your people. Be glorified. Call your people to grace. Let your grace rise up past a mixture of that of the law. God, we pray that, that you would let the full weight of it hit us. And that we worship you and give you glory. Not just in our songs, but in our lives. And God, we look forward to seeing you moving us. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon and we invite you to visit our website covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.